0: hey now we are getting over and i am the silver king adam silverstein here to lead you through these hard times with another wednesday night wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast that's right getting over is back just a few hours after nxt and aew dynamite went off the air to break down everything that happened wednesday night in the world of professional wrestling we have a loaded week a loaded show um a loaded month really as we close out 2020 here at getting over so this is just another in those long line of top tier professional wrestling audio episodes hitting those Ear holes. So you know we've mentioned it. If you are a WWE fan, uh, do not forget to listen to our TLC Instant Analysis podcast. Posted on Sunday, we followed back Tuesday with another WWE episode breaking down everything from Raw and SmackDown. And as we now celebrate this holiday season, which began you know a couple weeks ago, but as we celebrate this season, we are here with a Christmas Eve Day episode of Getting Over, talking NXT and AEW Dynamite. So we're not going to waste a lot of time. I know everyone is on a short schedule. The Silver King is as well. So quickly, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Nominations are basically done for the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the meaties. Uh, we will be putting out our full-on survey, our full-on uh, voting ballot by the end of the week for you all to vote that way. We can officially announce the first ever Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the meaties, next week on this podcast. Also, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Let's get into it this week. No wasting time. Let's talk NXT. And let's start with what I thought was the best match across all of Wednesday night, Rhea Ripley against Dakota Kai. It was, a, it was a really cool spot early in the match where Kai tried to separate Ripley's shoulder by stomping it on the ring apron. Ripley had a deadlift powerbomb, basement missile dropkick, an atomic faceplant for a couple of near falls. Very inventive moves there. Uh, then she had her inverted cloverleaf locked in. Raquel Gonzalez showed up atop the stage despite being banned from ringside. As Kai reached for the ropes and Ripley got distracted, Kai hit like a Canadian backstabber type of move and then countered Riptide with a guillotine, but Ripley powered out of it and then hit her Riptide for the win. So, a nice, strong, solid, clean win for Rhea Ripley, which has been much desired and much needed. This was easily the match really of the week for me leading into SmackDown on Friday, which does have a couple bangers on that card. So, you know, I'm not going to make any definitive conclusions, but this match was fantastic. Ripley and Gonzalez stared each other down and then bullied a bunch of male referees who tried to stop them after the match. Ripley cursed Gonzalez out, and it was really intense. But once they started fighting, the referees failed to pull them apart, leading to a whole bunch of producers to come out to basically stem the aggression and try to keep them apart. Even that didn't work until Gonzalez eventually got pinned on her stomach. Man, this was a freaking awesome overall segment. The match leading into the post-match, I cannot wait to see these two bludgeon each other on New Year's Evil, especially now that it is officially a last woman standing match. And you guys know I do not like last man, last woman standing matches. Um, My preference is false count anywhere because it gets the same, uh, you know, theory, I guess, of fighting anywhere. and And it doesn't necessarily matter where as long as you beat the count, except instead of beating a count, you're getting a one, two, three. So I am a huge proponent of false count anywhere, last woman standing, the lacking of climax to get to that 10 count. For me, it always is a drawback for the match. The lone exception was that women's match. I think it was Becky and Charlotte did a last woman standing match. That one, for some reason, had incredible um, drama and intensity. And it was... Something that I really bought into, but most of them I'm not into. So look, we'll see. Maybe they'll exceed my expectations. But Ripley and Gonzalez, it's going to be all about the meat in that match. Two weeks at New Year's Evil. Very excited about it. The other big storyline coming out of NXT was just the Undisputed Era as a whole. You had Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly early in the show give commentary while watching their first match, which was such a smart idea for a segment considering the match was only a couple of months ago. There's no way to really break it down other than to say you need to go watch it and understand that WWE should do far more of this, especially considering how many rematches they do across all of their products. We also saw Adam Cole against Velveteen Dream in a singles match that kind of came out of nowhere. Cole and Roderick Strong were interrupted by Dream while cutting a promo on behalf of O'Reilly backstage. Dream said the mighty have fallen in NXT, called O'Reilly the leader of Undisputed Era, Cole slapped him in the face, challenged him to a match. Dunn attacked, uh, Dunn meaning Pete Dunn, attacked Roderick Strong at ringside early in the match, hitting him with bitter end on the ring apron. Most of the action was actually forgettable in the match. Cole hit a number of super kicks, locked Dream in a figure four, uh, going for a knee that he injured earlier in the match. Dream hit a spinning DDT and a purple rainmaker, but Cole kicked out at 2.5. Dream countered Panama Sunrise with a super kick. Cole used a super kick as a counter also then hit the last shot and got the win. I thought it was a fine match. I'd have preferred the women main event the show. Uh, That was a far better match and a better storyline than having Cole fight while not even seeing O'Reilly like live or having Balor on the show. So, you know, I didn't think it was the strongest episode of NXT. I did think it was the better episode of the night, but those were really the two standout moments from a storyline perspective. And the other that was very entertaining, was a very Gargano Christmas. There was so much inside stuff breaking the fourth wall throughout these entire segments. There were three of them. It was just so good. They treated Austin Theory and Indy Hartwell like they're kids. Theory's new gimmick is basically like a dumb, like male bimbo, like a himbo. And it's pretty funny. He actually plays it off pretty well. Johnny Gargano yelled at him for saying Noé Jose's name and then trying to get all of his gimmicks like all day into the segment. Theory got Gargano's whey protein, W-H-E-Y, as a gift uh, and loved it. He was all about it. Later, Indy Hartwell got a PS5, but it was an empty box. So Gargano said the box was representative of a bigger gift, which was her getting the family name of Indy Wrestling. Uh, Candice said, we support Indy Wrestling. And I popped. I thought it was really, really funny shit there. Now, the last gift was for Candice, and it was a Wheel to Shotzi's tank, which Gargano... Uh, got even though he hates wheels. So this was just very good, very funny across the board. Uh, This is one of the best gimmicks in all of wrestling, I think, right now for Johnny Gargano. Um, You have Roman Reigns, you have Kenny Omega, and there's other good things obviously out there across all shows. But in NXT, I think this is probably the best thing they have going. It's just entertaining. He's still able to put on good matches. He's a pure chicken shit heel, but now they have this cult-like family, and I'm totally into it. I love it. Uh, we had Tony Storm cut a promo on Io Shirai, basically just saying her focus was on winning the NXT Women's Championship, and Shirai better her watch her back. Their match, whenever that happens, which I'm thinking might be WrestleMania weekend, will bang for sure. Shirai stomped her way to the ring and demanded that production hit her music. Uh, as she walked from Gorilla, she was waiting for Storm. She set up a chair, crossed her legs, demanded Tony Storm meet her in the ring. And Storm's music hit, but suddenly Mercedes Martinez attacked her from behind and absolutely destroyed her outside, including throwing Shirai through, literally through, the side of the announce table, which is not something I've ever seen before. It was a really cool spot, but I'm not sure why they are injecting Martinez here when they were building to Gonzalez and building to Storm already. But it is good stuff. My expectation, perhaps, is they do a match with Martinez at New Year's Evil, they save Raquel Gonzalez for the first championship match of 2021, like at a takeover. And then they save Tony Storm as the takeover Tampa Bay, whatever the WrestleMania weekend takeover ends up being. And I think that is probably where Io Shirai loses the title, if I had to guess at this point. So we'll go through obviously the rest of the show here. There's a tag team title match, Only Lurkin and Danny Burch, Defending uh, successfully against Drake Maverick and Killian Dane in a street fight, another street fight like this week. Uh, the challengers attacked before the bell and hit a cool double boot in the corner. Dane missed a charge, put himself through a table. Birch beat the hell out of Maverick with his own belt. Dane got the hot tag, but found himself on the ring apron. He got knocked off, uh, but didn't really fall through the two tables that were below. Instead, he kind of just glided over them and off them. Total botched spot right there. Maverick hit a pair of low blows and beat the champs with his belt but then took a cricket bat to the chest and an elevated DDT for the loss if the Dane spot had worked and the finish had come a bit quicker this probably would have been better instead for me at least this match was just nothing to write home about we had Isaiah Swerve Scott defeat Jake Atlas Swerve worked as more than a heel than basically ever before he was constantly aggressive throughout the entire match he flipped out of a top rope Poison Rana, which was just insane to see someone with that kind of athleticism. And he did it with total ease. The guy is insane. Um, Swerve acted an ass after the match. He beat Atlas with a headbutt, then nailed the confidence boost for the clean win. Like I said, he was acting like an ass, uh, offered his hand to Atlas like almost sarcastically after Atlas did it when he beat Swerve previously. Atlas was pissed, wouldn't shake it. I actually happen to think that Swerve is miscast as a heel, and I don't love it to this point, despite me loving him. I think he's a great wrestler. I'm excited that he's getting screen time and getting a push, but I don't think that him as a heel is is the proper alignment, and I'm curious to see how long that ends up lasting. We got another look at the Chinese uh, torture factory, whatever you want to call it. It, uh, It's basically no more, because now Xia and Boa are becoming hardened fighters and warriors. Boa was demanding more pain instead of begging for mercy, and Ziyali Lee looked like a total badass beating him up. We saw that woman's face again with the, with the uh, face paint, and, you know, then it ended. Look, I'm all in on this weird stuff right now. Like, these vignettes, these video packages have been pretty great. Uh, previously, a little bit more gory than this. This, it seems like they're kind of rounding into final form, but I'm just interested to see what they look like, how they wrestle, how strong of a push they end up getting, and what the trajectory is now for Boa and Xia Lee. So, so far, so good. And I'm still a positive mindset. I still have a positive mindset in terms of that storyline. Bronson Reed defeated Ashante V. Adonis in his return. Reed did a senton in the tsunami for a win and got him in like 90 seconds. I didn't really mind putting Adonis in this spot because I know he's not a mid-carder yet, and he's still on the low card, but it looked just like a couple months ago, like they were going to do something with him. Maybe tag with Swerve, maybe just get him as a big featured part of the cruiserweight division, and instead, despite the name change, despite more of a gimmick than he had before, he was just basically back to jobbing on this show. I, I thought him and Reed could have gone for five minutes. You didn't need Reed to just squash him like that, but you know, they wanted Reed to look strong. Maybe they didn't have many options here. Leon Ruff defeated Timothy Thatcher in a singles match. Thatcher cut a promo about Tommaso Ciampa before the match and dared him to stop the hurt he was going to put on Ruff. Thatcher largely dominated Ruff, goaded Ciampa to the ring, but Ruff caught Thatcher in a roll-up for the win. See, this is an instance, you know, I've been complaining about roll-ups. This is an instance where it's okay. Like, Leon Ruff is not going to beat Timothy Thatcher with a finisher. So if you need a roll-up, a pinning combination... This is the type of spot you do it in. You don't need to do it when Bianca Belair is fighting Bailey, All right. But I digress. Back to this. Uh, Thatcher, after the match, went after a rough until Champa ran in, caught him between the ropes with Willow's bell. Champa then challenged Thatcher for Fight Pit, and it was announced that it will be on New Year's Evil. Let's freaking ride. This is exactly what I wanted, exactly what I hope to see. Uh, Ruff later said that Regal had given him a North American Championship rematch against Gargano because of the win. So, all of this continuously heading in the right direction. Very, very excited. I wanted Fight Pit back. I wanted Ciampa in that match, and we're getting it. This is such good shit. Really good shit. We had Tyler Rust defeat Arya Davari. Malcolm Bivens propped up Rust in a major way backstage before the match. Rust did a 360 Bulldog. And locked in a shoulder submission with both arms like butterflied backwards uh, between his legs for the win. It was a really cool submission. Bivens and Rust, they look good together. It works. You know, I don't know what Rust's long term potential is, but the guy can definitely wrestle. And Bivens as a mouthpiece is probably smart. So I'm definitely interested. And lastly, we had Damian Priest and Karrion Cross cut a couple of tape promos against one another. Nothing really notable. From either one. Not bad, just not particularly good. Nothing really to say about it. Obviously, they will have a match at New Year's Evil. So wrapping up NXT, it was a good episode, top to bottom. I again, I think the Cole Velveteen Dream match was just misplaced in the main event when you have something so strong as Dakota Kai and Rhea Ripley. It's it's a no-brainer to put there. It was a better storyline. The finish with the pull apart was better. Everything about it was made for the main event. I definitely would have flopped those. Uh, the Gargano Christmas is very funny. NXT was a very good show. It was the superior show on Wednesday night. In fact, it has been that for the last two weeks. You know, we talked about AEW putting some really strong efforts together as of late, uh, including Winter is Coming. But the last two weeks have been a massive, massive fall off. And that is the same thing that happened last December. Now, there's a huge show being built up for the final Wednesday of 2020. And heading into 2021, the New Year's Bash, I think it's a double episode. So I I do think business is going to pick up in a major way for AEW. But over the last two weeks, NXT, clear head and shoulders winner in terms of episode quality, match quality, everything. Just better show. Now, let's move over to AEW. But we can't actually talk about AEW these days until we talk a little bit about Impact. Because on Tuesday's show, we had a couple more AEW type of segments, Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone did another paid ad with Khan gloating about his wealth and allowing Kenny Omega to wrestle on the hard to kill pay-per-view. It was a good again, but it's probably the last one of these I want to see. It's basically the same thing every single week and it's really getting tired. So I'm okay with they do more paid advertisements, but I wouldn't do it in the same format with just Tony Khan being a snarky ass and Tony Schiavone kind of standing there propping him up. I just think you need a little bit different of a dynamic if you're going to keep doing those. Uh, and then at some point during Impact, Omega and Don Callis cut a promo during a photo shoot about how lucky AEW and Impact are to have him. Callis said that Omega's been at seven stars since he came out of the womb, which I, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. I thought that was a great, great line. Uh, Callis, Callis has been incredible. Omega's doing great. Callis has been incredible. So let's move over to AEW Dynamite and let's stick with the Kenny Omega, Don Callis deal. They were stopped in a hotel lobby where Callis ripped AEW for letting the talent run the company and make matches on a whim. He was referring to Pac last week. Omega then said, Ray Phoenix has choked time and again this entire year and constantly gotten hurt when it matters the most. Omega also said he may put him out of action for good. The cleaner for me right now is operating on all cylinders. And I was really jealous of that suit jacket that he was wearing in the hotel. Anyone who knows about that, you let me know where to get it. Silver King wants to buy it. I don't think I can pull it off anywhere near what Kenny Omega did. But man, it was just such a sharp jacket. It was white with like blue paint splatter. It was really awesome. It's tough to compare Omega to anyone, but I'm going to compare him a little bit to Roman Reigns because the Tribal Chief gimmick right now is truly an all-timer. But Reigns himself has that must-watch quality now, which he was missing for a long time when he's on television. And that's something that Omega has. When Kenny Omega is coming up in a segment, you're not changing the channel these days. And that is the biggest compliment I think anyone can really give him or AEW. It's that despite a rushed, it seems, turn into the, the cleaner, transition back into that gimmick that made him so popular across the world. Ever since that transition's happened, he's been operating on all cylinders. And especially since the title win with Don Callis, they're batting a 1,000 for me. I would like to see him live a little bit more. I'd like to see these promos in front of the crowd. Um, but they're doing the best they can. And look, there's a huge match coming up next Wednesday with Rain Phoenix for the AEW title at New Year's Bash. The thing is going to be a freaking banger it's just going to rule. It's going to be one of the best matches of the year. You know, chances are our vote's going to be in before that match happens, but it probably will be in that top 20 category at a minimum. And I only say that because it's a TV match and Omega's a heel. So there's probably going to be some shenanigans there, but Omega operating at a hundred right now. And I'm, I'm pleased every time I get to see him on my television. Now that was really the only for me, truly notable moment from the show. I'm not saying the rest of the show is bad. We're going to go through it. Some was good, some some was bad. But that was there wasn't really longer storylines or things that I felt kind of took precedence to talk about in the upper portion of our breakdown here the same way as the women's storyline and the undisputed era storyline did in AEW. So let's let's go to the main event for Dynamite and then we'll kind of talk about the rest of the show. We had the Young Bucks defeat the acclaimed in a tag team title match. So I had not liked anything from The Acclaimed to this point, but I thought their music video that they released online, they aired a little bit before the match, was very good. I was totally entertained by that. I think writing and preparing and getting it looked over, they're in a solid spot. Freestyling, it doesn't work for me. The stuff before the match was back to being garbage. I don't know how these guys were main eventing AEW Dynamite, which AEW as a company has the deepest tag team division in the entire world. Late in the match, I legitimately had no idea who was legal. Of course, Rich Knox was the referee, so that was primarily the reason. Matt Jackson had a good hot tag and the Bucks uh, had some sharpshooters locked in, one inside the ring, one outside the ring. Nick Jackson hit an awesome Escalera doomsday device. Acclaim did a really cool superplex into a vertical suplex splash from the top rope. That was cool as well. Nick accidentally super kicked Knox, and the Acclaimed hit him with a boombox, but he kicked out at 2.8 by the time the new referee made his way to the ring. Matt powerbombed a dude through the ringside table, and the Bucks hit the BTE trigger for the win. So the Bucks are obviously a great tag team. The, The Acclaimed, for me, is just way too green to be put in this position. The Bucks carried the entire match. I saw people talking about, well, this match wasn't as bad as I expected. No, of course not because the young bucks were in the match and they're a great they're a great tag team. It's like when you have Oscar in a match with Peyton Royce and no offense to Peyton at all. Peyton can hold her own, but you're like, "Man, that match was way better than I expected." Well, yeah, Oscar was in it. <laughs> like like when you have someone of that type of veteran nature, they can carry greener talent, and that was what this was. This was the young bucks for me carrying the entire match. I did not think this was main event quality. I thought it was AEW mid-show quality match. And that's not a bad thing. That still means it was a good match, but I was just disappointed really with the wrestling on the show from what I expect from AEW. And I just did not think that was a main event caliber match or segment, meaning like the storyline. I don't think it deserved to be in the main event. We had Chris Jericho and MJF open the show against Top Flight. I did think it was smart for Jericho to be on the opener coming out of the NBA because you think people will recognize him and maybe stay tuned in. It kind of backfired slightly for them because if you looked at all the comments on Twitter, people were kind of clowning Jericho for being like older. And I say the word pudgy. I mean, I'm way pudgier than he is. It's not even close, but you know, larger than he used to be, not as fit, slower. And a lot of people were clowning on him on Twitter about that. So, I don't know if that was good or bad for AEW, but um, I thought I did think it was smart putting him in that opening segment. You want someone that people are going to recognize and say, "Oh, let me see what this is all about," and maybe that first quarter quarter hour for them is going to be nice. Uh, but the match was insanely slow and boring until Darius got the hot tag, and Top Flight had three near falls in MJF. Jericho hit a lion salt, but legitimately struggled keeping up with these guys. MJF hit the heat seeker for the win. It was a rough match. It really didn't do anything for me. Top Flight, I think, has a massive tra- trajectory. Like three years, four years, Top Flight. They're going to be one of AEW's best tag teams. And they're going to be one of those teams that we talk about. That's just inventive and athletic. They cut good promos. I'm I'm all in on Top Flight. But again, the match, really rough. AEW let Jake Hager cut a promo after, which was a really bad idea. Hager said, inner circle is working great together, except Wardlow, who's nowhere to be found. So he got a match approved for them to fight next week, which makes no sense whatsoever because they're stable mates with basically no animosity outside of staring at each other and giving themselves the evil eye. So for Hager, after this group is now coalesced and is stronger together to now want to go fight this guy and Jericho, the leader, not being able to do anything about it, it just didn't make any sense to me. Later in the show, uh, MJF shared a moment with Santana and Ortiz where they bonded over recently losing loved ones. It was a very real moment and I wasn't really expecting that. So I thought they both showed great emotion and it was pretty cool that they got to show respect to their departed loved ones on AEW. I don't know if that's a, like a something that MJF's going to be using in storyline as a way to like screw them over, but I kind of just thought it was cool and genuine and I, I really liked that. It was something different. Uh, Sting uh, was interviewed for the third time in as many weeks. Talk about something that was not really uh, genuine and was not unique. Uh, It was this segment. Sting came out for a, a third interview, basically said nothing again. But he did do an incredible impression of Dusty Rhodes. Way better than I can do. And I think mine is decent. But man, Sting absolutely, like... He almost assumed Dusty Rhodes. It was so freaking cool. Uh, He basically otherwise, though, just keeps playing on the nostalgia of being back on TNT, like the television network that you're on as a wrestler matters. It doesn't. And AEW being home, treating it like it's WCW. I mean, I've talked about on this podcast how in many ways it is WCW, but is that really what they're trying to be? I thought they were trying to be a revolution. Yet they have this guy come out every single week and basically say, it feels good to be back in a 2020 version of WCW. I don't know that that's the best look, and I still don't really get the Sting thing right now. Uh, The first week I was really excited. I thought they created a lot of pop. But just saying Sting will talk every week and then have Sting say nothing and cut a Dusty Rhodes impression, again, the impression was fantastic. I don't know what that's doing for you as a wrestling company. I don't think it's upping your storylines. Clearly, there's something going on with Darby Allen here, but they're not going to fight each other. And Sting being his manager is almost like a shrug. So I just don't get it. Maybe they'll tag against two members of Team Taz, and maybe that'll be something. Uh, Team Taz came out and talked some trash. Darby Allen appeared in the ring, and Taz backed off because they had a bat and skateboard. So you have Sting and Taz, similar ages. Taz now has four dudes with him. And or three dudes, I'm sorry. Three dudes with him. No, four, including his son. Taz has four dudes with him. You have older Sting with a bat, Darby Allen with a skateboard. And those guys are going to back off from a fight. Including, by the way, Powerhouse Hobbs and Brian Cage. I I don't, (laughs) I mean, I don't get that. He literally said... You guys have a bat and skateboard. We're not going to come over there. Why are you scared of a bat and a skateboard? Bat takes out one person. You beat the hell out of Sting. Darby has a skateboard. What's that going to do? You guys can't fight a guy with a skateboard. You can't get a chair or a chain and just go after them. All right, whatever. Uh, Sting and Darby had a moment looking at each other in the ring. Clearly, it seems like Sting is going to save Darby during this TNT title match with Brian Cage in a couple of weeks. But again, I just don't know how exciting that really is for me as a viewer. Jurassic Express defeated Dark Order. Marco Stunt hurt his neck legit getting thrown around by Luchasaurus, but he did look to be okay, and he finished the match, so that's a good thing. Luchasaurus' hot tag was the highlight of this long match. He threw Stunt over the top rope and hung, helped Jungle Boy with a flip powerbomb for the win. The Stunt stuff is getting really tired, to, to me at least, but I do like how inventive they are as a team. FTR interrupted a post-match interview before it even started, with Tully Blanchard previewing their upcoming match and Blanchard threatening Stunt directly. Uh, Pac defeated The Butcher. This was a fantastic match. There was a lot of extra stuff going on at ringside. Butcher hit Pac with an insane falling powerbomb, but refused to capitalize for an unknown reason. Eddie Kingston then left commentary to direct Butcher, so Lance Archer came out to hold him off. Pac took Butcher down, then hit the black arrow for the win. The finish with Butcher just refusing to capitalize made absolutely zero sense, but the action was great in the match. It was easily the best match of the show I wrote to this point, but it ended up being the best match of the entire show, at least as far as I was concerned. Uh, Pac and Archer, they had words afterward, and that continued. Jade Cargill congratulated Brandy Rhodes on her pregnancy, but said it was convenient that she's pregnant just as Jade was debuting. She said Shaq called out Cody and she's calling out Brandy, but she wants an opponent worth her time. I don't understand what's happening with all of this. It was a horrendous promo and a horrendous segment. She recognized that Brandy's pregnant, but is still calling her out. This was taped. Like this was not a live AEW Dynamite. They easily could have had her cut that promo again. That didn't make sense. Shaq calling out Cody doesn't make sense. Shaq's not gonna wrestle. I I don't understand any of what this is about. And I don't think that there is a resolution to it that's gonna make me happy. It's just really, really bad shit. Miro told Tony Schiavone to be happy for Kip Sabian and Penelope's wedding, while Sabian said their wedding will be the best thing in everyone's lives. They were ready to announce the wedding date when Best Friends music hit. Turns out they were just joking because they had taken out Trent backstage and he got loaded into an ambulance. They're having the wedding now February 3rd at Beach Break, a show that is legitimately named for Orange Cassidy's finisher. So obviously that's going to happen. He will interfere somehow. This was another really weak segment. I don't get what they're doing with Miro. At some point, maybe the idea of letting wrestlers 100% do what they want to do isn't the best idea. There should probably be someone like overseeing and at least a thumbs up or thumbs down some of these things. The Miro stuff, still not working. Zero point zero. Okay, a couple more things to wrap up here. Dustin Rhodes defeated Evil Uno. Rhodes won with a running bulldog, refused to shake Uno's hand. Stu Grayson attacked. Lee Johnson and QT Marshall got involved. I don't even know what this was um, other than a waste of my time. It was boring. It belonged on dark. The match wasn't very good. It's crazy that Dustin can still do some of the things he can do at his age, but I just don't need him on my television every week or, or... Frequently or semi frequently, and Evil Uno, I know people love him. And the Super Smash Brothers, I guess what they used to be called him and Stu Grayson. Uh, it just doesn't work for me. Uh, you know, we're, we're honest on this podcast. This was really bad. Fuck zero. Sean Spears in an interview told Tony Schiavone that he was betting on himself. He had left New York, uh, meaning WWE, but the grass hasn't always been greener and the glass ceiling in AEW still exists like it did in WWE, he then threw away his glove. So now, Sean Spears is on his third gimmick in AEW in just 18 months. First the chairman, then the glove, and now this guy who can't get over it no matter how hard he tries. Spears said he's as confident as ever and blamed Cody and Khan. Shivani asked Spears if he might actually be the problem himself. And he obviously shot that down. It was actually a really good promo and a solid segment, but nothing means anything with Spears when it comes to something hitting and working because he's, like, I know this is how he debuted in AEW, but he really is just a good hand. Like, I do think that something could happen with him and there is potential for a little bit more But I do think there is a ceiling. Like, but his promo was honestly pretty accurate. Like, his ceiling is TNT champion in AEW. And right now, he's nowhere even near that. He's a low carter. So I'm glad they gave him another opportunity because I do like him. And I actually think he's talented in the ring. And I enjoy, like, his presence. But so far, the two gimmicks he's had in AEW have been dog shit. And this one, I think, has a little bit of life to it but I don't actually trust that it's going to go anywhere. And I don't think it's an AEW booking thing I don't trust. It's more of a Sean Spears thing that I don't trust. Hikaru Shida defeated Alex Gracia. Uh, Shida was cutting a promo before her match when Abaddon attacked her for less than five seconds. The match began 95 minutes into the show, lasted four total minutes. At least there wasn't a commercial this time. Shida won with a Falcon Arrow and had to deal with Abaddon during and after the match. Abaddon then gnawed at Shida's neck, Very similar to how Shayna Baszler did Becky Lynch, um, you know, on the road to WrestleMania. It didn't work then for WWE. It certainly didn't work now in AEW. The Baszler thing, at least like Lynch really sold the shit out of it. She was like crying and complaining and they left the camera on her. Sheeta was bleeding from her neck after being attacked by a zombie and they just cut off to the next segment. Nothing about this is good. I actually tweeted this and many of you agreed. The WWE tag team division is one of the worst book things in the world right now just because they don't have teams, they don't care about it, etc. The AEW women's division is so much worse because they actually have some talent who's available and they don't even use them and they slot them into a single segment and it's four minutes or nine minutes with a long commercial. It's just really a travesty. And I know they have some injured people that are gonna come back, but like why do you have Britt Baker on AEW dark every week? when she could be getting a segment on Dynamite every week. I just don't get it. So this episode of AEW, as you can tell, I just, I really thought it was trash. I thought it was a bad episode for the second week in a row. Again, that doesn't mean it was all bad. There were bright points. Omega and Don Callis, top flight in particular, their part of that match, even though I didn't really like the match. Pac and Butcher, I thought was pretty solid. But I mean, I just ran down that show for you and you can't honestly tell me that was a great episode of AEW. It just, it really wasn't. So I think they're limping into the end of the year, whereas NXT is actually moving pretty strong towards the end of the year. But the difference is that AEW is giving us a pretty damn good New Year's Bash card next week, whereas NXT, there's a couple decent matches, but it's not a card that's really gonna bang head-to-head with AEW. Since we don't really have the opportunity to preview New Year's Bash, at least next week's show, You know, real quick, Omega versus Phoenix. I do think Omega wins. I don't see any reason why they would change the title. I do assume there's going to be some type of shenanigans. My guess is we see Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson from Impact kind of come in and play that role um, of of having Omega's back. Maybe once Penta and, you know, Pac come down to ringside or something like that, maybe they end up doing a six-man match in AEW down the line since they're going to be doing a six-man match over an Impact. I'm not exactly sure what direction it's going to go, but I am excited for the Omega match next week, really more than anything right now. So that is it for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Like I said, wanted to keep it relatively short today. I know it's the holiday weekend. I don't know how much time everyone's going to have to listen to a brand new show, so wanted to keep it short and sweet. But the long and short of it is NXT, AEW, we know that both shows are really good. I'm excited for both of them wrapping up 2020 and into the new year. There's gonna be a lot of damn good wrestling coming up soon. And there's gonna be a lot of damn good wrestling audio coming up soon as well. Because not only are we gonna be back on Tuesday to talk all things WWE, hopefully on Wednesday, that's my plan as of right now, we should have our Getting Over Awards, aka the meaties for 2020 our inaugural award show on this podcast. Again, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That way, you can not only find out when new episodes are published and talk about wrestling with us all week, but actually vote... In the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the meaties. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this show. So thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I hope everyone continues to have happy holidays and has a great holiday weekend as well. With that, the Silver King is saying goodbye. It means I have just three words left for you. Bye for now.